0: going to kind of go back and just look at some foundational things today. We're going to go to the beginning, um, Acts chapter 2, and uh, spend some time together in the book of Acts, and kind of look at the beginning of the church, as the church was, if you will, kind of birth on this day, some 2,000 years ago, Acts chapter 2. We'll read it, and then we'll go back and we'll we'll dive in. And if you're new to the Bible, don't be shy. Let your neighbor know. They can help you find the book of Acts. And As we learn and grow, learning to see the Scripture and feast upon them, that's how we grow. Amen? All right. Sounds like we're all there. Verse 1, if you're there, say amen. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes. Uh, Amelites, those who dwell dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjourning Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing that it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see what shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great an awesome day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved men of Israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested by god to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of god you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death whom god raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David, saying concerning him, "I I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave your soul. For you will not leave my soul, excuse me, in Hades, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, and I hope you can appreciate what Peter is doing here. We'll get to it eventually. Men and brethren, let me, be, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, for knowing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear for David did not ascend into heaven into the heavens but he says of him the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool therefore let us All the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are, are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 39 is where you find yourself today. Just so you know, that's our part in this. Verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. And had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as any one had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, and notice this, and simplicity of heart. I want you to remember that. Praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right, So Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, and I pray that you would do a special work in our hearts and minds, um, individually, Lord, but also within our body collectively here, Lord God, as we turn our hearts to this very foundational scripture, Lord, and that you would build us and grow us, Lord God, remove anything from us, Lord, that just doesn't doesn't, uh, belong, and uh, have your way in us, Lord, to grow us and strengthen us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a wonderful place in scripture. I was planning to try to do the whole thing. I was really struggling. It was hard prep. You know, I was wrestling with the Lord and I realize that now. And he won. He always does. Um, But we're going to look at the inherent witness of the early church in the first 13 verses. Um, And then we're going to look at the message of the early church in verses 14 through 41. And we'll look at how that message was Uh, customized as it went out um, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then we're going to look at the life and power of the early church in verses 42 down through verse 47. Um, One scholar said this, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of of lives ignited by the spirit of God. I love that. I probably should read it better. We're not going to move this world by criticism of it. And we often find ourselves criticizing the world. And I think we forget that uh, those who are not saved sinners, we should not expect to live righteously. There's, There's no expectation there. So we're not going to move the world by criticism of it. Nor conformity to it. That's a biggie, because I think sometimes the church conforms too much or Christians too much to the world but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the spirit of God. And so as we now approach this very foundational part of scripture, this is the history, the book of Acts is the history of the Christian church given to us by Luke, who was one of the only Gentile writers of the Bible, who was a physician who investigated all of these things to make sure that an accurate account, both his gospel, Luke, and the book of Acts was given to a man named Theophilus, i told you before, whose name means lover of God. So many beautiful pictures there. So Luke went out of his way to deliver an accurate account of what took place to this man Theophilus so that he would know the truth concerning both what Jesus began to do in the Gospels and what he continued to do in the book of Acts through his church. Many people, in fact, if you were to read the title of the book of Acts in your Bible you probably see something that says the Acts of the Apostles. How many of you have the Acts of the Apostles? Um, And that's interesting um, and good, but when we really look at it and really compare it to where we've ended up as a church, I would say the better and more accurate title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church because that's exactly what we see. Now as we dive in um, for the sake of time verse 1 says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now uh, that puts us in a time frame that's very unique particularly to this specific year where this Pentecost took place which happened right after the death, burial, and crucifixion, the, 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 uh, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because according to the Old Testament, all of these things had particular timelines that they were uh, uh, tied to. You remember uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 12 that the, the Jewish year had been given to them, the first month of their year had been given to them by God that was tied to The uh, deliverance out of Egypt. Y'all remember that, right? Egypt being a type of the world. And so God said to Moses, this will be the first month of your year going forward. And in this month, I want you to on the 10th day, take a lamb and bring that lamb into your home, basically. And on the 14th day at twilight, kill the lamb and apply the blood to your doorpost. And he gave instructions as how they were to eat the lamb. Uh, Making sure that uh, all of it was consumed, none that was left, no bones were broken. Everything had a specific way that it was supposed to be carried out. Okay. then he said, also, I want you then to begin to purge your homes of leaven, which is a type of sin in the scriptures, a picture of sin. I want you to purge your homes of leaven um, and I want you to have the feast of unleavened bread. Okay. and so that would take place. All right. And so they were to do all of those things. And then he said to them, okay, also on the day after the Sabbath following the Passover, you're going to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. You can actually go to Leviticus 23 as an area that you can look at all of this. And you'll celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. And he gave them instructions concerning the Feast of First Fruits. Then he said, look, I want you to also celebrate a Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and I want you to do it 50 days after. You start counting seven Sabbaths from the day after the Passover, uh, 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 the Sabbath that's related to the Passover, and you count seven Sabbaths to the 50th day after that, and I want you to celebrate then the Feast of Weeks. And it's so beautiful because that's what has happened here. And so literally what we know is that looking at the Gospels, we know that the Passover occurred and they went right into the Sabbath. Remember, it was a preparation day. So they had to hurry up and get Jesus off the cross so they could prepare for the Sabbath was coming. Y'all remember that? So they get Jesus off the cross, so they had Passover right into the Sabbath, and then the day after the Sabbath, they celebrated the Feast of first fruits. We remember that. Then they would have counted, and the day after the Sabbath would have been a what? Sunday, first day of the week. Then it would count seven Sabbaths, the 50th day which puts us most likely back at a Sunday which is very interesting to think about. I'll come back to all that in a minute. So it's most likely, very likely that this is a Sunday morning day of Pentecost in the first century the the first Pentecost after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that on this Sunday morning most likely this group of disciples had gathered and I think that we can define them as disciples based on what's happening they've gathered together because of this one thing they have in common this main thing they have in common I should say which is their faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ they believe in who he was based upon what he said so they believe in who he was based upon what he said to them which was the Christ the son of the living God amen y'all remember that so this group of people believe. That Jesus was exactly who He said He was, and so they were carrying out what He commanded them to do. Ain't that amazing? Two basic things: they believed that Jesus was who He said He was, so they were carrying out His commands. And when you when you take disciples of Jesus Christ based on that definition, we can weed out a whole lot of groups. Now, we can we can weed out um, Catholicism for the most part. We can weed out Jeho- all the cults. You know, we can weed out actually. A lot of the more heretical aspects of Christianity, because it doesn't seem like those groups that I've mentioned actually believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, which would make him God incarnate. So they are gathered because they believe that. And they're gathered because they are following his command. Jesus said to them that I don't want you to go do anything, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem because you will be endued with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. So Jesus says, I want, I, I want you to be my witness. I want you to be a witness of me in the world. But I need you to wait until I empower you to do so. Does that make sense? Um, so uh, we will have a lot of fun with this. So they're waiting. So they believe in Jesus and they're following his command. That makes them disciples. And it gets better than this. Who are these people? You can read in chapter one that it's everybody, um, it's, it's, the, it's the apostles is Jesus' mother, Mary, or the woman that was used to bear him, Mary, along with some of his siblings, along with many of the people who believed and watched his life um, as his ministry unfolded. So these 120 have gathered. How would I know it was 120 of them? I got ahead of myself because to verse 15 says that it was 120 of them. Is that good enough? All right. So it was 120 of them gathered Um, who believe, um, and their posture is very interesting as well because in chapter 2, we'll get there, verse 2 at the end says that they were sitting. This is very interesting. They were sitting. You got 120 disciples gathered in a room, a house It actually says as we go through this, waiting in obedience to the Lord's command on him to do something in their lives. And it's an amazing thing. We also know that on this probably Sunday morning, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. How do we know? Because Peter says, these ain't drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the, the third hour of the day or 9 a.m. We can do math in the New Testament very easily. We know that the day generally started around 6, so the third hour of the day would be 9. Jesus went on the cross the third hour of the day until the ninth hour of the day. So Jesus was on the cross from, ni- from 9 to 3. Y'all get it? we we getting all this. So we understand these numbers. So so it's 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning with 120 people who believe gathered together. This was such a blessing. I couldn't have planned it. A rainy day with a lot of people with COVID made for a light first service. So this morning at 9 a.m. we had about 120 people in the room. I know because of how many seats were empty. Like right now I know there's about 150 of us. So uh, 120 people. I just made some people nervous. You have people looking around like, oh, where's my mask? Um, <laughs> you're okay. God has got us. We're okay. All right. We're going to be doing uh, an actual um, COVID service to talk about some things, some special things coming up I'll share with you soon uh, towards maybe the end of this month or beginning of the next month. want to stay on track. So it's very special. About 120 people gathered in our house following the Lord Jesus and his commands, waiting on him to do something special, anticipating. And they were probably not quite seated like this. They were probably almost a home fellowship style, maybe circled up to some degree so they could see each other, but they were gathered. And what were they doing? Well, chapter one, verse 14 says that they had continued with one accord in prayer. And chapter two, verse two says that they were sitting. So this is a very interesting scene. Because it's nothing like the church today. How, how can I say that? Well, one, this is very non-Baptist, non-Lutheran type of church, non-Presbyterian type of church. What do you mean? Well, they're actually expecting the Holy Spirit to show up and do something. Because that's what Jesus told them to wait on. So it ain't nothing like the conservative wing of our church today. But it's nothing like the Pentecostal and charismatic portion of our church either because they're sitting in there praying. They're not running around and laying under chairs or anything. So this looks nothing like the church today at all, but they are there expecting God to do something and praying. Y'all catch this scene? This is one of the most amazing things to imagine. And as they're praying and waiting on God to do something and looking at each other and talking to one another and remembering all of the things that they've seen now, they saw Jesus walk and do miracles and smile and love them and die and rise and comfort them for 40 days and ascend up to heaven. And now they're sitting there waiting. He's about to do something next. We don't quite know what it's going to be. But he said, we're going to be witnesses when this thing happens. So they're there. And this very special moment, which is going to change the next 2,000 years of history in the world, as this group of people are now gathered. And it says that they were on one in one accord, which is a very difficult thing for the church today to figure out. One accord. Why were they on one accord? Well, because it, it, it doesn't look like anything we see today. It's not dead orthodox, not expecting the spirit to do anything. It's not over the top misrepresenting the Holy Spirit stuff. It's just, hey, Jesus is in charge. We're here. You know, you apostles, we know he made you all apostles, so we good with that. You know, we're going we're gonna to let you, you know you all leave. We're going to hear what you have to say. But we're here waiting to see what Jesus is going to do. He's in charge. And See, that's what's lost in the church today. The church is so complicated because Jesus ain't in charge in the, in the minds of people because usually when people come together today, they make it all about somebody else. You know, it's somebody that's got to be in control, lording over others, all Nicolaitan type of ministry happening. You know, Jesus hates that. Y'all remember that, right? Or it's some, somebody got to draw attention from everybody else to themselves by how they conduct themselves or how they're dressed or how good they are in their ministry or whatever it is. None of that was happening. It's what made it such a wonderful and special, special time in the church. Verse two. And suddenly, meaning they didn't know when it was going to happen. I can say some stuff on that one. They didn't know when it was going to happen. Nobody was in control of it. Nobody was doing nothing. Suddenly, while they were praying, there came a sound from heaven. Y'all catch that? It came from heaven. It didn't come from the person that gets all Pentecostal at the same time of the service every week. Like clockwork. That's not what happened. Some sound came from heaven. And I I, I want you to imagine as I read this to you, probably the difficulty if you had to write what happened if you were there. They're gathered praying to Jesus and all of a sudden and the Holy Spirit gives it to us in some physical manifestation of things because it would be difficult to explain this. Suddenly there came a, a sound from heaven notices as a rushing, writing, a Russian mighty wind doesn't say that it was a rushing mighty wind, but it comes across that way. Because how would you describe being in a room with 120 people praying to God and all of a sudden, bam, something happens? What are you going to say? man, we were gathered and all of a sudden it was like the wind came through. Like, like the Lord stirred us up all of a sudden. And notice it says fill the whole house where they were sitting when this took place and there appeared to them, notice, divided tongues. It really means tongues were distributed to each one of them as of fire, meaning it wasn't fire but as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. This is the best ability of Luke to describe or to write what was described to him by the people he talked to, because Luke wasn't there. But Luke is saying, man, this is the account as I got it from those who experienced it. And it was amazing. They were gathered just like this on a Sunday morning, 120 people praying. and All of a sudden, as the Lord had promised, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And, and this physical manifestation is a best way to describe what happens. It's also so I believe that they could see and distinguish that this thing that's happening is happening to each one, which is a blessing. It wasn't that only a few people in there got it. You know how people today are with the Holy Spirit. They're always trying to show off. You know, no, 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 no. Everybody in the room received this thing and they saw this thing and it was amazing. It, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be clear on something. There were 11 people in the room that were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Who are they? The apostles. How do you know? Acts chapter 20. They're gathered in the upper room. Jesus shows up and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. But as of yet, he had not come upon anyone to empower them in the way that he is now to be the witnesses that they need to be before a, a dark and hopeless world. Now, one of the things I have to say to you is, and we go through this, we'll talk quite a bit about the Holy Spirit, is that when we look at scripture, we know that there are uh, several, at least three different types of experiences that we see with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus talks about a couple of them in John chapter 14. And you should write these references down and look at them in your own time. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. But he says to them, look, the world doesn't know the spirit of truth. They can't see him. They don't know him. But you do because he's with you. And he will, future tense, be in you. Jesus told them, right now the Holy Spirit is with you. But when I go, basically, I'm paraphrasing, he will then be in you. He says, remember, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll pray to the Father that he'll send another helper. And and basically the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is another just like Jesus. So when Jesus was with the disciples face to face, they didn't need the Holy Spirit in them. You got me? But when he leaves... Now they need the Holy Spirit because they need that part of Jesus. So the ministry continues. So when he left, the Holy Spirit came and it was like having him still there almost. You follow me? Okay. So this coming alongside is what happens. Now, he says with you, it means to come alongside. One of the things I know and recognize through the years in teaching is that whenever I'm teaching the Bible, I by faith believe and know that the Holy Spirit is present to come alongside both the believers but also the non-believers because the first uh, experience with the Holy Spirit is he comes alongside to convict of sin and point you to Christ so as the gospel is going forth the Holy Spirit comes along he brings the conviction and points you to believing that which is being taught so that you can be saved does that make sense So that's his first first role. And if you go back to the time that you were saved and you kind of think through how the how you begin to feel and what made you respond. Well, the Holy Spirit was doing that work. He had come alongside. But once you are saved, once you believe, then once the Holy Spirit has taken that gospel and and, and caused you to be convicted to the point of believing and that faith is birthed on the inside of you. Then he comes in and takes up residence in you. He indwells. You follow me? And then there's another experience, which we see them having here, um, which we often refer to as a baptism, is the coming upon, the overdwelling, the coming upon, if you will, it's almost like God laying his hands on you in order to empower you now for the, to be the witness and live the way that he's called you to live or even to conduct the ministry he's given you to do. Now, as, we go, as you go through the book of Acts, because we're going to get back to Proverbs in a few weeks, but as you go through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is often this is a simultaneous event for some people. And then for others, it kind of looks like with the apostles, the indwelling and the coming upon can, can be a separate event. You'll see that as you go through. But this is what happened to them. And it's a necessary thing. You know I'll talk about it in a minute, but one thing that came up during first service is that, you know, you can have a candle. But it's just a candle, a wax thing with a string in it until you light the thing. Now everybody see it, right? Yeah. And that's what Jesus just did. He just lit a candle. He just lit the church so the world can see the way he intended the world to see it. You know, this is a crazy thing. You know, you go all the way to chapter 18 when Paul shows up in Ephesus and he sees this group of believers and he has to ask a question. Have you, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? What is it that you believe? And he finds out that they only believe John's gospel, which wasn't the whole gospel. So they didn't understand or have any expectation of anything happening. So Paul gives them the whole gospel and then, bam, the Holy Spirit falls upon them as well. You know, I think that Christ intends to work through his church in a very supernaturally natural way by the power of the holy spirit which is necessary. And so, this is what's beginning to take place. So I went through that explanation just to kind of kind of help us understand that that this is a necessary thing that's happening. Now, let's continue. Y'all doing okay? So they were filled with the holy spirit verse 4. They began to speak with other tongues, notice as the spirit gave them utterance verse 5. Verse 5 says now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem Devout men from every nation under heaven. I love that. Um, In other words, there was a representation of everyone uh, throughout the whole known world, which we'll see in a moment, in Jerusalem at this time. This feast would be one of the most packed feasts because of the time of year it was. And travel was a lot simpler and easier. And this place was crowded at this point for Pentecost. And so there were people from all over the world. You would say, well, why? Would be, Jews be there from all over the world? Well, because God set it up this way. Now You got to catch this. Now, Old Testament, Jews go into captivity, Babylonian captivity. Creates a diaspora to some degree because what happens by the time Persia takes over is that this whole uh, Persian world, which Persia was the superpower that ruled the world at that time, Jews ended up spreading out. Throughout it, how do we know? Because Mordecai, book of Esther, wrote letters to the Jews in every province, 127 province from all over the world. It mentions places there in the book of Esther. So the entire known world, Jews were spread out, and so he had to write letters to all of them. Well, wherever Jews go, they make what we call converts or proselytes, and so literally they impacted the whole world with their presence. God using them to plant the seeds of his word throughout the world. And so now at this feast, we're going to see there's a representation. Check it out. There's a representation of every culture, every language, and even every ethnic group in Pentecost for the first Pentecost of the church. And God has just lit the candle of the church before the whole world. I hope you can catch this. There's a part of the entire world in Jerusalem. And when they, when, listen, when this group of people get saved, we're about to have 3,000 of them we're going to see get saved. That 3,000 is going to be a representation of the entire globe at that time receiving the gospel and getting saved. It's an amazing thing that God has just done. Y'all catching this? So God brings a portion of the whole world, a remnant from the world, into Jerusalem. And what does God do? The, the, the book of the writer of the book of uh, Hebrews says that the Old Testament feast, the Old Testament sacrifices, the Old Testament temple process and, and all of that stuff was a f- shadow of things to come, which will be fulfilled in Christ. Y'all know that, right? So here's what God does. He, he writes the law. He gives the command and Jews continue to practice these things. It's pointing to Christ, even though they don't fully get it. All right. The Jews are spread out through the whole world. He uses that to bring everybody together. And then what he does on this particular year is he brings forth the actual Passover lamb, his son, Jesus Christ, and he dies on Passover. Then he is resurrected on Sunday morning on the Feast of Firstfruits. And then 50 days later at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost by the way, Sabbath is celebrated while he's um, his body is in the tomb during the, the Sabbath, during the Passover first fruits. He was resurrected from the dead. And 50 days later, at the Feast of Weeks or, or Pentecost, Jesus pours his spirit out upon his church for the final hour of humanity to be able to have the light of God in the world through the body of believers called the Christian church. It makes you wonder what on earth is the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles going to look like as far as Jesus is concerned. We don't know, really. What we do know is that some scholars believe that the Feast of Trump is this memorial blowing of trumpets, which, you know, is not a lot of explanation as to why God would have them have a Feast of Trumpets in that way. Maybe it has something to do with the Lord descending from heaven with the with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God gathering his church in the air at the resurrection of the the believers. Why do I say it's the resurrection? Well, because, y'all stay with me for a moment, okay? Y'all doing all right? Sometimes I give too much information at once because I'm excited about the word. What we know is that at the rapture of the church, two things happen. Paul tells us part of it in Thessalonians and part of it in 1 Corinthians. Two things happen. The Lord is bringing the souls of those who belong to him with him when he comes, okay? And... The Bible says the dead in Christ rise first, so they're resurrected. Then those who are alive are caught up with them. But then in First Corinthians, Paul says, "Well, but they are changed because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, so they must be changed in in a moment." In, in a twinkling of an eye. Y'all remember that? So, what happens is he brings the souls of those who are already with him and they are resurrected or they rise or their bodies are resurrected. Um, They're reunited. Those who are alive are literally transformed as they go up. So, by the time the church meets the Lord in the air, the resurrection and that portion of it has now taken place. Y'all follow me? Christ the first fruits on the feast of first fruits, then those who are his afterwards. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all with me on all this? And if you're not, you should read it because you're not supposed to take my word for it. And if you're not writing it down and reading it, shame on you. You're going to be somewhere trying to quote it and not even know where it is. My pastor said it. That's never good enough. What your pastor said is never good enough. What has the scripture said to you? You should write it down and read it, okay? I just quoted 1 Corinthians 15, two places, and I quoted to you 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. You should be reading those things and knowing them for yourself. All right. So where was I at? So, oh, yeah, talking about why so many people were there. All right, verse five, um, devout men from every nation under heaven. Um, And there are two main groups of people, by the way, uh, or I should say two main cultures that are happening now. There is the Jewish culture and then there is the Hellenist culture. The Jewish culture, we know. The Jews were the most difficult people that the Romans ever dealt with. Look, Rome was actually okay with you worshiping whatever God you want as long as you first said that Caesar is Lord. Once you said Caesar is Lord and you, you put your little incense and stuff and did all of that, then they were okay with you worshiping your own God. The problem is the difficulty was that in the province of Judea, the Jews wouldn't really do that. They did their temple worship, but they would not say Caesar is Lord. So they always had difficulty with the Jews. And then this set of Judaism, they thought, which is Christianity gets birth, And there's a big problem because the Christians will not say and have never said that Caesar is Lord. So, there's a conflict going on. But then you have the Hellenists or the Greek, or the Greco Roman culture, which believed in many different gods and philosophies and things of this sort. And so, this is why Paul says that the Jews seek after a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. Y'all remember that? We'll get to that next week. So, we got these two cultures happening. But here, devout men, Jews, they're Jews religiously. We're going to find out in a moment that many proselytes are part of them. But once you convert to Judaism, you're considered Jewish. You follow me? All right, let's continue. Now, verse 6. And when this sound occurred, what sound? This sound like a rushing mighty wind of them speaking in tongues going on, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard Everyone heard them uh, speak in his own language. And so this sometimes brings a little confusion as to what's taking place here is this speaking in tongues just simply the Holy Spirit allowing them to speak in a language they didn't know like a language that was known but that they didn't know well let's continue to read and it says and they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another look are not all of these who speak notice they are Galilean so it's very specific they're Jews the 120 but they're Galilean Jews which means they sound different than Jerusalem Jews or Judean Jews It's kind of like those of you from New York. Y'all come down here saying, I would like some coffee. And then Pastor Kevin says, hey, y'all want any coffee? He catches a difference. They say coffee and I say coffee. You know, we're all uh, people of the United States. I can't even say America, but we sound differently. Y'all catch it. So there's a very distinct dialect from the Galilean region. It'd be like John Wayne trying to speak Spanish he might can learn the language, but he won't sound like he's, when I go to Columbia, I mean, I can learn this, but I don't, they, they know, it's like, so they're Galileans, what's going on here? See, this is the miracle, it's not that they're, they hear him speaking in their language, they actually hear them speak, if you go up to verse 6, and our own language it, 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 it is hints of dialect, like there's a specific, specific dialect, in other words, they're not just speaking the the uh, academic pronunciation of words they are doing it like they are from there those different areas this is what's happening and they say that verse 8 how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born and this is what they're getting at you can you can like the, the, the Jews in, in uh, Galilee spoke slightly different than the Jews in, but, and people from all over the world have their own dialects you even talk to the Spanish community and when they get together, especially at a church like ours where you got Guatemalans and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Colombians, and they get together and you sit at the table and eat with them and they fixing stuff in their language because they use words differently. Oh, yeah. You know, yada, yada, yada. We say it. This means this to us. and yada yada. yada I watch them get all that sort of sorted out so nobody gets offended. <laughs> you say something. Anyway, you get it. You know, you can offend it. Um, So they say where we were born. In other words, no, 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 no. They're not just speaking a language. They're speaking a specific dialect. And then the Bible gives it to us. Pantheons and Medes, Amalites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Why would they say Judea? Judea is a Jewish region. Again, it sounds different there than it does in Galilee, Phrygia, Pamphylia. Uh, all over Asia, all over what we consider Turkey and Southern Europe and all of this kind of stuff. Then notice Egypt and parts of Libya adjourning Cyrene. We just covered North and West Africa as well. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. What is a proselyte? A convert to Judaism, meaning that these are Gentiles who converted to Judaism, so they're considered Jews. You follow me? So when you hear somebody say that the early church was all Jewish, they are right in that they were all, the 120 were all Jews from Galilee. And then when the 3,000 get saved, you're going to have a church of 3,120, which are all Jews because they all practice Judaism. But they were not all ethnic seed of Abraham. And this is huge. When I was, um, I don't want to go off on too much on this, but I remember when I was in college, we had this group known as the the Nation of Islam—they—they're not real uh, Muslims. They—they uh, they follow some Muslim sect out of, uh, mostly out of New York. uh Farrah Khan, Elijah Muhammad—all these kind of guys, you know. Um, and so what they would say is to us Christians is, "You all worship a white man's religion." That's what they would say all the time. And so you know, I wasn't grounded in the Word. I didn't know the Word really well, so I really couldn't deal with them. But I remembered. Getting tired of that challenge because they would challenge me. Well, if, the, you know, if God loved the African Americans, and you know, what about slavery? What about all these things? And I always stirring up trouble. And I began to have conversations with the Lord about it. I have found that you can go to Him with anything. Like, Lord, what is the situation? What is, What are your feelings? And the Lord began to show me um, through the Scripture His heart to all people for all times, and even show me the Africans in the Scripture and how He reached out to all here. For the African-Americans in the room, we have the Africans at Pentecost as well. Um, Not only the guy who carried the cross, not only the Ethiopian unit, but um, from Siren and Egypt and uh, and, uh, Libya and all of these different places. So from the whole known world, there are representations of everyone at Pentecost. And it says here, Cretans and Arabs as well, all through the Middle East, we hear them speaking, notice, in our own language, the wonderful works of God. So what is the miracle that's happening? The miracle that just took place is not just a miracle of God allowing them to speak these languages. Because to be honest with you, if I'm from a specific area with a specific dialect, and you got 120 people speaking at one time, for me to pick my dialect out is going to be very difficult. The miracle that just took place is the miracle that as they're speaking on one accord, with tongues as the spirit gave utterance, the people all heard in their specific dialect what was being said. So it was so uniquely special to each individual. You know, when God speaks to us, those of us who are believers here, we've probably experienced the voice of God in our lives at some point. Not audible, but speaking into our soul, into our spirit. And sometimes we hear that in prayer and reading of the word. And for some of you it maybe it sounds like the voice of a parent. Or maybe it sounds like some person who is authority in your life, whatever. But you know it's specific. You can recognize God speaking to you because he knows how to speak to the individual. This is what I love about the Lord. The Lord is not limited in his ability to speak. This is why I love when Jesus goes across the sea to the area of the Gethsemane, to the guy who's who's possessed with a legion of demons. And God, the Lord Jesus, is able to speak to that man and free him of that demonic possession. This is why I say it doesn't matter whether you got schizophrenia or mental illness or demonic possession or drug addiction or whatever your situation is. God has no, no problem being able to speak right through all of that to your soul, to your spirit, to to, to call you to salvation. He can speak. They all heard it and they heard it customized for them. Now, here's the thing about the get the tongues because the church gets all in a trying to figure this thing out. So writing your notes, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 helps us understand. For instance, Paul says, do all prophesy? Do all have the the gift of miracles? Do all speak with tongues? The answer obviously is no. So therefore we know that everybody doesn't have all the same gifts. We good with that? Okay. Now, so here's what it is. There's two purposes for tongues in the scripture. The scripture only gives us two purposes for them. Tongue. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 14, he says, well, he who speaks with tongues edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, so the first biblical use of the gift of tongues is for you to edify yourself in your personal time of prayer and worship to the Lord. And I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. What that would mean then, let's say everybody in this room was a believer. I doubt that's the case. But let's say everybody in this room right now was a believer. If one of you were to just stand up and start speaking in your gift of tongues right now, and everybody in here was a believer, it would have no edification to this body of people. It could only, you could only edify yourself. So then at that moment, we would then have to say, okay, well, to keep it biblical, let me pause. Let's give the Lord an opportunity to provide an interpretation of that so that we, we would know how to move forward. I want to come back to that in a moment. But the Bible says that tongues is, which this actually doesn't make sense on the on the surface. It is a sign. First Corinthians 14, it better be in your notes. It is a sign for non-believers. Like, what? A sign of non for non-believers? A gift of the Spirit given to the believer, but it can be used by God as a sign to the non-believer? Well, absolutely. Because that's what he did at Pentecost. And that's what's happening. Many stories throughout the years, whether it's the missionary field or just tongues being used at some churches I've heard of where um, somehow God speaks very specifically to a person in the sense of they hear something and, and they don't understand it because it was the gift of tongues. And then it's explained to them what it was and they come to faith. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. So it's a sign for non-believers. Those are the two areas. It's a it's a it's a gift given to you individually if you have it to edify yourself in the Lord, or it can be used as a sign to non-believers. And so this is the issue. You have the conservative wing of the church that doesn't want to deal with the gifts at all, and then you have the charismatic charismatic wing of the church who who does stuff that's just not even represent a representation of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the midst of a body of believers. And so the church is divided and doesn't know how to deal with it when there's nothing wrong with this or any gift, it's just a gift of the Spirit, which he distributes. Now, when you speak with tongues, we have to understand that it's never really directed as a message towards men. Paul says, um, he who speaks with tongues speaks to God, not to men. First Corinthians chapter 14, again, those verses are all found in there. He says, that's why it's better that In a church gathering, we use the gift of prophecy the 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 word of God coming forth before people and being expounded upon and made and God being able to use the word to speak because then the believers can understand and know that God is speaking. So that's why it says here, even verse 11, that uh, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. Notice the wonderful works of God, a very interesting phrase, actually. Megalios in the uh, Greek is the word, is Strong's 3167, only used twice in the New Testament. It's used in Luke chapter 1 when Mary is praising God after Gabriel tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And it says, she says, for he that is mighty have done me great things and holy is his name. And it's the same Greek phrase. She's praising God for the mighty work that he just did. And now the Bible says that as they're praying in tongues, what they're actually doing is proclaiming the mighty, wonderful works of God. So it's a praise. Y'all catch it? So this is why when people speak with tongues, when there is an interpretation that comes, um, I'm always listening to see, man, is it going to be the mighty works of God? Or is it going to be a message directed at men? Then I question whether it's either the gift or the interpretation were either from God at that point. You know, I don't know. So I'm just saying, this is what scripture tells us, that those who speak with tongues are speaking to God. The wonderful works of God is what we see here. So we need to know and understand these things. You know, when we actually know what the Bible says, things get pretty simple. You know, and this is what we we need. In fact, later in the chapter, we see that they ate their food with gladness, chapter four, uh, verse 46 of this chapter, with simplicity of heart. Y'all catch that? Paul said to the Corinthians, I fear lest you move away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen, false teachers usually complicate things on purpose. The more complicated, the less you can figure out what it is. You know, and they can keep you, can kind of keep you uh, fooled, you know. And they got you thinking you always got to come back to them for some prophecy got a special word for you and you always giving them money and trying to hear what they got to say, they don't know nothing. This thing is simple, y'all, because God wants us all to receive it. Now, we got to finish because we're out of, out of time. And, um, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So what just took place? This group of people who just love Jesus are gathered. 120 of them, 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It's probably in a circle praying. Waiting for the promise of the Father. Jesus is going to do something. We don't know what it is, but we're here because he told us to be here. And we're praying and we, Lord, have your way in us. Lord God, we don't know what you're going to do, but we're here. We're waiting. We wanna, we wanna serve you and all this kind of stuff going on. Blessed be your name. Thank you. Thank you, God, for raising up Jesus. All this they're just they're sitting in there, they're remembering. We saw his miracles. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, he turned the water to wine. We saw him feed 5,000 people. We watched these things, and, and we heard his words, and we know his smile. We love him. And then we saw him die. And then we saw him alive. And for 40 days, he comforted us. And then we saw him ascend up to heaven. We don't know what he's about to do next, but we know it's going to be good. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and apprehends them, and the Lord turns the light on to the world, and they say, what on earth is this? Because, ladies and gentlemen, when we simply gather, allowing and making sure that Jesus is the most important thing in the room, and our focus is on him, he can do some stuff, and he can cause people to say, what on earth is this? And that's what we're seeking after. You know, I have to say to you that we've had an awesome and amazing uh, 14 years as a church. You know, we've done a lot of missions. We've done a lot of outreach. We've done a lot of growing. Um, one of the most difficult times for us was the last two years. And, you know, I, I think about these group of people here, 120 of them. They had all seen each other. They, they're, they're telling their testimony. I started following Jesus on this day. I heard Lazarus was got raised from the dead. I had to come see. You know, or I started following Jesus out on this day when when this happened, you know. You know, hey man, I'm the I'm I'm the leper dude. My nine friends ain't here, but I'm here, you know. I don't know. Hey, maybe blind Bartimaeus is there. We don't really know, do we? Maybe the dude that had a legion of demons is like, man, I'm here because he called me and made me an evangelist. I we don't know who's there. But they know they got these stories. And, you know, for me, there's this authentic, special thing that can happen when a group of believers come together in this way. This is a very diverse church of people already, and it's about to become more so when when the gospel goes forth. I should say it's going to become very uh, diverse. But one of the things that's special is they have this common testimony. And I think about the last two years of the difficulty that we've been through. And one of the things that we're doing as a leadership group is we're trying to say, well, look, you know, we, we've been through this t- stuff together now. And what's important is that we understand that the bond we have, those who serve here, you know, wherever in the building right now, children's ministry, youth ministry, wherever, we have this bond in Jesus. And that's why we are doing this thing together. And I think in order for a church to be healthy and move forward in this way, there has to be some s- simplicity that, that occurs. And maybe if you're new and you wonder why um, it's the way it is, and you know we, we probably will never have a fog machine, no matter how big of a building we have. Um, somebody need a fog machine, you know? It, look, Jesus didn't need no help making a, a a big sound and a big noise and all this, right? No, no problem. How many people were gathered when this thing happened? Remember, look back up. It says in verse six, when the sound occurred, a multitude came together. How big was that multitude? We don't really know. What we know is 3,000 will get saved. And whenever I give a message and, a, and some people get saved, they're usually a small fraction of the gathering. So there was probably ten to 20,000 people who heard this. It was packed out. It was a very um, congested area. And God allows this to go out, and all these people hear it. And so I guess what I'm saying, y'all, as we prepare for this new year as a church body, I think it's extremely important that we understand that there's nothing wrong with simple Christianity. I actually think the Lord can work to a greater degree in that because the church is so overwhelmingly complicated that sometimes people can't even find Jesus for the midst of all the stuff that's going on. Uh, Look, check it out. This church, they had no clue. They had, they didn't even know what was about to happen. They had no program. They ain't handing out no flyers. They don't have a PA system, a sound system. Okay, they don't have any of that stuff. Yet, they're about to be entrusted with three thousand baby Christians that they've got to disciple. And they don't even know how it's going to happen. And what we're going to find is they're just going to start gathering from house to house, continuing in some very simple things that will cause them to grow and go way beyond this. Many scholars believe that the early church went from 3,120 to over 25,000 in about six months. That's what some scholars in their study through history believe. that. And that's a number that's probably conservative. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being 120, now you got to disciple 3,000 more? And in the next six months, this thing might be, you know, 20 to 50,000? Can you imagine that? No, we can't imagine that. But that's what God did in the midst of something so simple. Without all the stuff we got today that we think we have to have in order to make this thing work. See, the problem today is we know how to do church. We got books about it. We got programs about it. We have conferences about it. We know how to do it. We've learned, man, we've got it down packed now. You've got to have these particular things in place in order to make it work. No, you don't. You don't have to have any of that. In the room, we've got Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran people, Catholic people who used to be those things, and Pentecostal people in the room. We have white, black, Latino, and other in the room. Right now in this room, we've got Spanish, English, Romanian, I think French, um, I can't remember all the other ones that are in the room right now. Can you imagine that? Russian in the room? Thank you. I forgot about that. That's what I was trying to remember. Yeah. All of that in the room right now. Right now, that's what's represented in this group of people. And that's what God has done. So I think that as we move forward now in 2022, and we're going to go through the rest of this chapter in this month before we go back to Proverbs, I think I want you to all catch this vision with me of the fact that the power is in what God is doing in the church with his spirit, not anything else. Because if, look, if we don't catch that, we, we ain't gonna be nothing. We'll never accomplish anything. God is gonna do the work. We just gotta show up excited about him, you know, and say, well, we don't really know what he's about to do, but we're, we're ready to do it when he does it. <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna see what he does. You, can you imagine what the excitement must have been like for them? They were probably, the apostles were like, man, This is crazy. Jesus is still doing this stuff. Remember when he had his baptizing out there and stuff like that? And then then he did all this and we were feeding 5,000 people. But now look what he's doing through us. This is why in chapter 6 they're going to say, look, we, we can't serve tables. We got to find somebody to do it, but we can't do it because we got to stay before the Lord so that this thing can keep rolling, that the word keeps coming forward the right way. You follow me? So all of these things that they have to learn to do And uh, anyway, here we are 2,000 years later, still learning how to do it, but having to remember that we need to keep it simple so we can allow him the opportunity to work in our midst. So we want to remember that. So with that said, we've got to close for today. We'll pick it up actually in verse 14 next week. And y'all give me like two more Sundays. I don't want to lie. (laughs) Give me give me to verse 47. And then. Then we'll go back to Proverbs chapter 10. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for allowing us to allowing us to just be here and to pursue you. Lord, if they, maybe there's somebody in the room that hasn't started the journey with us yet, they don't know you and you want to save them, Lord, I, I thank you if that's what you're doing. Um, Lord, I thank you if everybody in the room is already saved. I don't know, but I know that you're faithful. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, hey, if you're here and you're not saved, just wave your hand at me so... I can know that you're receiving the Lord and that he's bringing you in, forgiving you of your sin through faith in his son's finished work on the cross, death, burial and resurrection. Wave at me if that's you and I'll know. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I see Your hand. Amen. Thank you. Um, Father, I thank you for marriages that are struggling in the room because they're here. I pray by your power that you would fix any issue, that you would smooth things out, that you would draw them into this oneness that you've ordained. Lord, if anyone in the room is not filled with your spirit, Lord, uh, or dry, and, and you're not working in them right now, Lord, I pray that today you would apprehend them, that you would convict them of sin and complacency or whatever it may be, and that you would take them, Lord, and begin this fresh work in them, Lord God. Unite our congregation, Lord God. Lord, I can't speak for things that are going on other places, but here where you've drawn us, I pray that you would unite and ignite, that you would have your way in our midst. We love you. and We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.